Welcome everyone. Happy Groundhog's Day. And also with you. Um, he did, uh, you know, say there's going to be six more weeks of winter. I think we all would have said, duh, it's going to be six weeks before this all melts, for crying out loud. I'm just going to get something out of the way right up front. It's, uh, it's also Super Bowl weekend, and I know a lot of you uh, with gambling addictions depend on me for my, uh, you know, my scriptural <laughs> prediction of the Super Bowl. So uh, in case you're, like, completely oblivious, Seahawks and Broncos. Here we go. These are the birds you are to detest because they are detestable. Okay, when the Bible says something twice... It's very significant. The detestable birds are the eagle, the vulture, any kind of raven, the owl, and the gull, and the, of course the hawk. So the hawks are detestable, according to the Bible. I just want to make sure you're following me. What about broncos? Are there broncos in the Bible? I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. This is from Revelation, whose rider is called Faithful and True, and that's Jesus, by the way, riding on a bronco, Okay. I think you can kind of see where we're going with this. It's really pretty simple. And if you want both of them together, look, he advances like the clouds. His chariots come like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than the hawks. Okay? That's, that's it. That's all you need to know. Okay? Um, I, I will take no liability for your gambling losses if that doesn't work out, but welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're getting ready. I'm going to do one more week. You don't want to miss next week on margin. I know some of this is like uh, a kick in the pants, and that's the whole idea. New year, let's start, let's start off right. Let's talk about some things that are going to make us uh, feel better this year and make us more productive for God this year, and so doing that today and then next week. And next week, um, I'm going I'm to kind of bring it all home and talk about the, the core of margin, which is that we've got to be trusting God more. When we're trusting God more, it'll give us more margin. It'll give us more peace. And uh, my daughter, Rachel, lives in Nashville, is coming up to sing a song at the end of it that she wrote after kind of contemplating this sermon. So you're not going to want to miss next week. The week after that is uh, Seven Deadly Sins. We're going to start the Seven Deadly Sins. We're going to talk about uh, these things and not like how to do them better. It's going to be like, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be Jesus talked about the attitude of the heart that is behind the seven deadly sins. And so we're going to talk about them. We're going to, we're going to be processing through anger, greed, sloth, lust. Uh, Tim Sutherland's going to do gluttony because I've got to do physical today. I know he's up there somewhere. He's got to do gluttony. We're going to, I, I'm not going to do them all, but I'm going to do a lot of them. And we're going to talk about these sins and see how it all goes, okay? Jesus talked about this a lot, and I want us to be able to work on it. Now, here's what we're asking you to do, okay? Uh, I want you to host a group. It doesn't have to be weird people. It doesn't have to be people you don't know. It could just be your friends. It could just be like when you're at the Super Bowl party today that, you know, you're going to or you're having or whatever. You just say, hey, we're going to do this thing about the seven deadly sins at our church. And, you know, I'm going to host this group and you come over to my house. Okay. Oh, that's all you need to do. A host stands for, has a heart for people that can open up their domicile, whatever that is, can serve some snacks. And after today, it'll have to be like carrots and, you know, and, and, and celery, but that's beside the point. Okay. And can turn on a DVD. That's all you need to do. Casey and I put laid down uh, the DVD teaching for this, and uh, and so all you're going to do is turn that on. You're going to have some questions to go through with your group. You can do your own group, and we need everybody to be in one. All right. I really want to encourage you to do that, and I, wa- I want to encourage you to host one. So what you're going to do after the service, look for the polka dotted pants, crazy people up in the chapel. Everybody's going to be in the chapel. Just go by there. If you do an existing group right now, go by the chapel and get your stuff so that you're ready for that, and we'll be uh, ready. 
ready to start that in two weeks as, as things go along the way. We're excited about that. Also, next, next weekend, um, we're going to do a, a Sunday night beach party. We want to get more people moved over to Sunday night because our Sunday morning, as you can see, is always getting crowded. And, uh, and so we're going to do this beach party next Sunday night after the 545 service. We'll have the cupcake truck out there, which is brilliant after what I'm going to preach this weekend. And we're going to have food and we're going to have music. You know, the beach boys are going to be here and, you know, we're going to, not really, but we're going to watch Soul Surfer in here, which is a great movie, uh, uh, you know, beach theme about a, uh, about a testimony of a lady, the girl who got bit by a shark and, and survived it, a great Christian movie. So that's all going to be going on next Sunday night afterwards. All right. So let me get back to this. Okay. Margin. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, we talked the first week about what margin is. Margin is about you're writing, you know, in the middle of the page, and if you don't have some margin around the edge of the page, there's no room for anything else to happen. And, and we've even talked about the, the fact that psychologically, we, most people believe the reason that Google won the battle of the search engines is because it's so simple. There's lots of margin there. There's lots of room. There's only one thing to do. And the problem with us in this world is that we're multitasking, we're multiple doing everything, and we don't have any margin in our life whatsoever. So we're going to talk, and Casey did a great job talking about spiritual spiritual margin last week and how we need to breathe and how we need to be still. If you didn't get to watch that, go online and see that. By the way, I, I was preaching at a church in California because my mama didn't raise no fool last weekend. And uh, as a, as my buddy Gene Apple's church, who's going to be with us in a few weeks here, um, and Michael Francis goes to that church. So Michael says hi to you guys. He actually sat in the audience while I preached at his church. It's kind of weird, our mafia friend. Anyway, um, margin talk about physical part. All right. That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, And it's brilliant because this is the day that we will sit more and eat more than any other day of the entire year. Right. It's great. Super Bowl. Right. So forget about it today. All right. But on Monday, I want to talk about how I believe that if we don't figure out how to get some physical margin in our life, if we don't figure out how to how this body is supposed to work better, we're never going to be able to be who God wants us to be. That's what I want to talk about. And I know that a lot of you made New Year's resolutions. So I'll read uh, I'll read from one story of one guy. Maybe you can relate. Guy said, my wife gave me a personal trainer as a Christmas present this year. So I called and made reservations with someone named Tanya. She said she's a 26-year-old aerobics instructor and athletic clothing model. My wife seemed very pleased with how enthusiastic I was to get started. (laughs) Day one. They suggest I keep this exercise diary to progress my chart and to progress my uh, week, so I'm doing it. I started today at 6 a.m. Tough to get up, but worth it when I arrived at the health club and Tanya was waiting for me. She's something of a goddess with blonde hair and dazzling white smile. She showed me the machines and took my pulse after five minutes on the treadmill. She seemed a little alarmed that it was so high, but I think it was just because I was standing next to her. Tanya was very encouraging as I did my sit-ups, though my gut was already aching a little from holding it in the whole time I was with her. This is going to be great. Day two. Took a whole pot of coffee to get me out the door, but I made it. Tanya had me lie on my back and push this heavy iron bar up in the air. Then she put weights on it. <laughs> Legs were a little wobbly on the treadmill, but I made it the full mile. Her smile made it worth it. My muscles feel great. Day three. The only way I can brush my teeth is to lay the toothbrush on the counter and move my mouth back and forth. (laughs) Driving was okay as long as I didn't try to steer. (laughs) Tanya was a little impatient with me and said my screaming was bothering the other people at the health club. Day four, Tanya was waiting for me with her vampire teeth in full snarl. (laughs) 
I can't help it if I was a half an hour late. It took me that long to tie my shoes. I hid in the men's room until she sent Lars looking for me. Day five. I hate Tanya. I hate Tanya more than any human being has ever hated any human being in the history of the world. If there were any part of my body that were not in extreme pain, I would hit her with it. Day six. Got Tanya's message on my answering machine wondering where I am. I lacked the strength to use the TV remote, so I just watched 11 straight hours of the Weather Channel. Day seven. Well, that's the week. Thank God it's over. Maybe next time my wife will give me something a little more fun, like a root canal or a kidney stone. Some of you are going to ask the obvious question as I head into this. Does this make sense to talk about in church? I mean, really, about physical things, about, uh, about our body? And I would definitely say yes, but I want di- to give you a disclaimer right up front. What I want to talk about today is not about weight and it's not about looks, okay? There are people that take physical health to the extreme. There are people that take all this stuff to the extreme. And and I'm going to tell you that I don't think that's the way that it ought to be. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that we should eat our food with gladness, all right? Everybody just say that because it's Super Bowl day. Eat your food with gladness, okay? You know, whatever. God gave us 10,000 taste buds so that we could enjoy what he has given us. And in the Old Testament, there was a very specific Levitical diet that told people the things that you should eat and you shouldn't eat. And ironically, a lot of people are realizing now that we ought to go back and do those things because that was really the healthiest way. God wasn't being mean. He was being healthy. But in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 10, God gave a vision to Peter and and all the unclean food came down on this big blanket and God said, Peter, I want you to eat this. And Peter's like, no, no, I can't eat this. It's forbidden. And God said, no, nothing is off limits now. Bacon is okay. The X10 is the bacon verse, okay? And so, so what I want you to understand is probably what Paul said was the easiest way to describe it. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, all right? Enjoy your day, but every, not everything is beneficial, and I will not be mastered by anything, all right? You're not supposed to be hungry all the time. You know, I mean, the reason you watch those, those models walking down the runway, you know, and they have that angry face when they're walking... It's because they're hungry. They weigh 28 pounds, okay? Am I right? That's not how God made us, okay? So so let me just disclaimer that, okay? But on the other hand, what does God think when we sit down to that? I know, the same reaction every service. Last night it was really bad because people hadn't eaten yet, and they're like, oh, man. Are there corn chips on that hamburger? Yes, there are, ladies and gentlemen. And here's what's funny. If, if, if you were raised in the church at all, you were probably taught this, this little funny prayer that we're supposed to pray before our meal, right? God, please bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. God's got to be looking down at that hamburger going, it was easier to turn water into wine than to make that nourishment for your body. And I think that most of us as believers would say, okay, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to consume large amounts of alcohol. I'm not illegal drugs, you know, I'm not supposed to do that. What I do with my body, I'm not supposed to hit somebody with, you know, I'm not supposed to be angry and pound them, you know, I'm not, I'm not sexually, I'm not supposed to be immoral with my body. But when it comes to the, the, the taking care of the body, we're like, ah, it's no big deal. Double bacon cheeseburger, mountain of fries and a mountain dew, right? 
I made a video to illustrate this. I did this sermon seven years ago, and uh, I did this. This is a seven-year-old video I have to show you, and it's about me driving a Ferrari. It's a great illustration. Unfortunate thing is I had a Nissan GTR all lined up to drive 565 horsepower. I was ready to remake this video starting the beginning of December, we couldn't get the snow to go away long enough for me to be able to drive the stinking car. So here you go. Hey, I'm standing here with the 2005 Ferrari Spider. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, dude, did you get a Christmas bonus or what? No, no, no. This isn't my car. That's my car. I got a kid in college. But let me tell you about the Ferrari Spider. This Ferrari Spider will go zero to 60 in faster than you can say, license and registration, please. It's worth about $200,000. It's a high performance sports car. It's uh, probably one of the coolest things you'll ever see in your life. You can even look in the back and see the engine. I'd tell you about the engine, but I don't know anything about it, except that it's really fast, and I'm going to drive it right now. Get up. (laughs) You gotta drive it with the music. within the limits of the law. It's uh, got a speedometer that'll go to 220. I don't think we'll find out. All right, never driven anything quite like this before in my life. It's scary. Scary for two reasons. Number one, it's extremely valuable. It's worth more than most houses. It's just an unbelievable piece of equipment and it's worth a lot. Second reason is ownership. Obviously, it's not mine. I don't own it. Somebody else let me borrow it because I guaranteed them a place in heaven. But you know what? I've got to take care of it in a little different way because it's somebody else's and not mine. The Bible says that our bodies are a lot like this car. They're extremely valuable. God put us together and we are valuable people to Him. And we're not our own. The Bible says you were bought with a price. You are not your own makes me think that we ought to be looking at our bodies a little bit differently than I think we do. Like maybe we should be taking care of our bodies a little differently than we do. Like I'm taking care of this machine. Well, looks like if I'm going to drive this any longer, I'm going to need to get some gas. Okay, one of the things I know is um, this is a high-performance sports car, and I've got to put high-performance fuel in because you don't just put in the same kind of fuel in here that you do in my Saturn. Uh, you could probably run a cheap tank of gas through here every once in a while. It wouldn't hurt it or anything, but it's a high-performance vehicle. It needs high-performance fuel. All right, this looks like a good road. Shouldn't be anybody out here. Let's see what it'll do. 
<laughs> Unbelievable. Your license and insurance, please. Uh, yeah, you bet. Second. Uh, did you happen to notice my shirt? Yeah, it's a nice shirt. Yeah. Do you know I'm a pastor there? That's great. It's not likely because pastors don't drive cars like this. I need to see your license and your insurance, please. Uh, what I love about that is that we were complaining about gas when it was 2.27 a gallon, right? Let me take you to 1 Corinthians 6, okay? I, I, I want to help you to understand that what I'm talking about today has scriptural a, a reason for it to be going on. And, and, and the video demonstrated what I'm going to tell you, but I want to back it up with scripture. 1 Corinthians 6 is written, 1 Corinthians was written, Paul wrote to this church that was struggling with a whole lot of problems because he had gone on to start other churches. And one of the problems that they were suffering from, one of the problems that they had is, uh, is, a, is a theology called dualism. It was dualism. And, and dualism for them back in that day, what that meant was that their spirit and their soul was separate from their body. That's what they believed. And so whatever they did with their body was irrelevant because their soul and their spirit was separate. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, where we're going to be a lot today, he, he was talking about it from the issue of sexual immorality. All right? and, and what he was trying to say, what they were trying to say is, well, what I do sexually doesn't matter because my soul is over here and they're separate. And I think we would all look at that today and we'd say, no, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's all tied together. But, but let me take this same principle because what he talks about here is the fact that, that our body and our soul are tied together. and We can't compartmentalize them. So let me take you through this just briefly. All right. First Corinthians 619 says, God owns your body. Number one, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. So you can't try to separate things. You can't try to separate your soul from your body. God lives in your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he talks about ownership. God owns. God God lives inside of us. And of course, the temple would have registered with these people because the temple was the place where they went to worship God. The temple was where the sacrifices were offered for God. It was the dwelling place of God. So when God uses the when, when Paul uses this terminology, everybody there is like, oh, Oh, okay, I get it. And you would say, well, you know, is that important now? Was it important to Jesus, the temple? Well, yeah, remember that story where one of the times Jesus got really, really mad was when he went into the temple and he found them defiling the temple and he made a whip out of some cords and went in and cleared out the temple, overturned their tables. He was upset because the temple was being defiled. So, so you, if, if you put this all together, I believe that God is really interested in, if this is our new temple, I believe that God and Jesus are really interested in our temple. And no, you don't see Jesus talking about what you eat or exercise, of course. He couldn't. There, there wasn't a problem back then. Why would Jesus talk about it? There was no high fructose corn syrup back in Jesus' day. There was no MSG. There was no steroid-enhanced milk. Okay, they didn't have a problem with that. Nobody could afford sugar, right? They didn't need exercise. They walked everywhere they went. You get this, right? But the principle, I believe, stands true. Don't trash the temple. See it as a place where God lives, all right? That's number one. Number two, God values your body. 
Okay, you are bought with a price. Now again, an illustration that I think that that those people would have understood. The illustration of slavery, the illustration of value. You were bought with a price, right? There was a huge advantage to driving that old Saturn. I paid $1,000 for that Saturn so my daughter could drive it through high school. And by this time, I think I'd had it for two or three years. I'd gotten my $1,000 worth out of it, right? I didn't ever wash it, you know? If there was a narrow parking space in between two big trucks, I didn't care. Just pull in. I'm there. I don't care if they ding it. I mean, it it was so bad that I literally had a a flathead screwdriver in the glove box just in case, you know, the gasket blew, the trans fell out. I was ready to scrape off the VIN number, pull the plates off, and walk away and hitch a ride. (laughs) That's how much value the Saturn was to me, literally, okay? That the difference between that and driving a two hundred thousand dollar sports car was uncanny. I felt bad if it you know got a little bit dirty. I was praying that it wouldn't rain. The difference is value, and the problem with most of our thinking about this thing here is about value. And many times I think we we think, oh, I'm just an old Saturn. What I want you to understand is that God thinks you're a Ferrari. God created you, and he thinks you're a Ferrari. And, you're, and you're, some of you are like me. You're like, you know, I, you know, this Ferrari's got a few miles on it. Yeah, you know what? Um, I have a Toyota minivan. We have a Toyota minivan with 135,000 miles on it. When I take it to get the oil, and I want to drive it forever, and I think I will. I, I, when, we, when we take it to get the oil changed, they always say, oh, I see you have a, a lot of miles. Would you like the high mileage oil? There's a special oil. What what is that? And I I always say yes, because I want it to last. So what does that mean? That means the more miles you have on you, maybe the more care you ought to be taking of your vehicle. Here are the facts. We're going to spend $3 trillion this year on health care in the U.S. alone. $3 trillion. And experts tell us that 80% of it is from curable, preventable lifestyle issues that we have going on in our life. This is, according to the experts, the first time in history that as many people are suffering from the results of overeating as are in the world suffering from the results of undereating, malnutrition. The average American takes in 10 pounds of chemical additives into their bodies every year. The average American spends 15% of their calorie intake on soda. I'm not a health nut, okay? I'm really not, but, but, but I'm concerned about my temple, and I want you to be concerned about your temple because I think God is concerned about our temple. So if you're interested in it, i got copies of the Daniel Plan. Maybe you've heard Rick Warren's new book is uh, Daniel Plan. Rick Warren uh, lost a bunch of weight, and their, their, their church went together and decided to get healthy. And it's available for you out there. I'm getting no kickback from it. Rick doesn't even know I'm doing it. And if you follow health and nutrition, there probably won't be anything new in there. But it adds the faith part to the whole idea of our temple. And do you know why he wrote it? He wrote it because one day he had a mass baptism deal like we do here. We did 500 people last, uh, last fall. They did 800 people one weekend. And he said, I started getting this really unholy thought about halfway through the baptism weekend. Everybody's fat. That's what, that's what I got was everybody's fat. I don't understand this. And he said, it was as if God, you know, said, um, you're their leader and you're fat. 
He said it was a real revelation to me. And he said the next weekend I got up and I said, listen, I got, I got, an, I got, a, I got, an, I got to admit this. I got a confession to make. Um, as your pastor, I've gained a few pounds. He said, I, I've only gained a, maybe a, a couple of pounds every year, but I've been your pastor for 35 years. So I've got a problem and I'm going to, I'm going to do something about it. And if you want to do something about it, let's do it together. I'm going to get my friends who are doctors and we're going to come up with an idea and let's do this together. And he said, 15,000 people. They had maybe 20,000 people that weekend. 15,000 of them signed up to do the Daniel plan. He was shocked. And if you didn't hear, they lost 250,000 pounds collectively as a church. Pretty incredible, isn't it? But one of the first things, we're not, we're not going to figure that out. We're not going to do that. Because one of the first things he will tell you is, this is not about weight. It's not about looks. It's not about weight. This is about health. Okay? Weight might be a byproduct. It might not. And there are lots of testimonies in the Daniel Plan book about how, you know, people's lives are better now, how they sleep better, how much medication that they're off of. Because God designed us, again, to be Ferraris, to use high-performance fuel, not, you know, not the stuff that we've been throwing in it. And when we change that back again, everything in our life, in our temple, is going to be better, and we're going to be better suited to do what God wants us to do. So I was doing this discussion at staff meeting because I had uh, told our staff that, um, you know, we're not going to have any more junk in our break room if they bring, you know, leftover. And don't you be making cookies for the staff, all right, because I'm going to throw them away. And I told them that, and, you know, they, I was doing this whole speech about how we're going to set the example as the staff here. And, uh, and one girl raised her hand, one young woman raised her hand and said, you know, I'd like to talk about that. And, and it, was, it was a shocking testimony because this was not somebody who you would have ever thought wasn't taking care of themselves. Um, so listen to Amanda as she shares. was pretty normal. I went to school, I worked, I had a daughter. Things were just normal. To eat a gallon of ice cream was normal to me. To sleep only three hours a night was, you know, was good for me. I um, didn't really work out that much. I ate everything I saw or I would go a day without eating. It was whatever I needed to get me through that day. So if it was a can of soda or a cupcake, It was. If I had to run to McDonald's in the morning time, every morning on the way to work to have a sweet tea, that was just normal to me. And it was normal to my daughter, too. I think deep down inside, I knew something needed to change or something I needed to eat healthier. I needed to do something. I was a single mom. So I don't know. I just felt felt that something, something needed to change looking at me from the outside, I appeared to be healthy. However, I was anything but. When I heard the doctor say cancer, I had so many mixed emotions. I was relieved. I was scared. I was scared because I didn't know what was going to happen to my daughter. My normal life of schooling and work, would it stop? Would I lose my physical appearance? Would I, you know, everything kind of came to a halt. But then on the other side, I was kind of relieved knowing that I needed to change something in my life. So I had to make some lifestyle changes. Uh, The big ones were getting a full eight hours of rest a night, um, quit smoking, um, change my eating habits to more healthier. So I knew that I would have to go through chemo, surgery, and radiation, and I needed to give my body the fighting chance to be able to go through treatments 
In April of 2013, I finished my cancer treatment. They didn't find any more cancer cells in me. I was considered cancer-free. When I eat healthy, I feel better. I get better sleep. I enjoy life more. I mean, I, I think clearer. I'm more productive. I'm happier. Um, you know, I, I have the ability to accomplish so much more in life. It's odd because I look back and I had all this time. I didn't sleep that much and I tried to do a lot. But looking back, I didn't really have a real quality of life. I was healthier going through chemo than I was before chemo because of the lifestyle change I made. It took cancer to make me realize what I was doing to my body and how I needed to make a change. It's something that I wish I would have done years ago. She felt healthier during chemo, okay? That, that, that ought to just be a good example, all right? So turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are a Ferrari. That is not a pickup line for you if you're single. <laughs> or let's try this little bit of scripture. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were bought with a price. Now, that would be a terrible pickup line, but you get the point, all right? <laughs> the phrase... <laughs> This whole slavery thing was something that they would understand. Obviously, they'd put someone on an auction block and someone would bid for them. And what he's saying is God made you. He designed you to be a Ferrari. And then, even though you were enslaved by sin, Jesus paid the price for you. And when we look in the mirror, we should feel valuable. We shouldn't feel like an old Saturn. We should feel like a Ferrari because we were, according to Peter, it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that we were redeemed, purchased, from the empty way of life handed down from your forefathers, it was with the blood of Christ, all right? So, so God owns you and he values you. It's that important. He thinks you're that awesome. You don't, maybe you don't feel like it, and I understand this, and please, again, if you don't like the outside of the temple, if you don't like the way you look or, or those things, please join the club. There are maybe three people in here who look like, you know, they're healthy, and they're personal trainers, and they're 12, okay? The, the rest of us, none of us like that. We don't like to look in the mirror and see what we see. I get that, okay? I really, really do. But, but the guilt thing is not going to do you any good. That's, that's not going to help you at all. I heard about one woman in, the, in one of the small groups. That was, they were trying to work on this Daniel plan thing together. And, and uh, she'd made a cake for her family the night before. And they'd eaten half of it. And uh, it was sitting there. you know. And her husband, as he left for work, he's like, you're never going to leave that cake alone all day, are you? And she's like, no, no, I got this. I'm not, you know, I don't have to eat the cake. Well, she was there all day. And she, of course, you know, what, what happens is it just was more and more tempting. That's why I don't want it in my break room. Because I have no self-control. She would start slicing off, you know, a little bit here, a little bit. And before long, she'd eaten the whole cake. And she was commiserating, you know, with her small group. I, mean, I can't believe I did that. You know, I have no self-control. And they were all like, oh, man, what did your husband say when he found out? She said, oh, he didn't find out. I made another cake and ate half of it. <laughs> the guilt thing is not going to work for anybody. That's not what I want. And, and, and please, again, I want you to understand uh, this, this self-image thing. Can I just say this? All right, you're going you're gonna to hear from one of my daughters next weekend, not really about the physical thing, about trusting God, and it's actually a little bit more about sleep. She wrote this awesome song. You're going to love it. I raised three daughters in this world. Okay? I want to say something to you dads. Dads, you make sure your daughters 
know that you think they are a stinking Ferrari. That is your job in this world, okay? I don't care if they're a model. I don't care if they win the track meet. I don't care anything else. It's our job because this world is stupid. This world is hard about self-image. They're getting photoshopped images thrown at them in every screen and every billboard all around, and they're struggling with it. And our boys are too. I'm not saying it's just girls. We got to make sure that they understand that we love them. And you got to make sure that God loves you and thinks you're a Ferrari and values you. It doesn't matter what kind of shape you're in. That's what we need to understand. But if you recognize this stuff, if you recognize what God has done for us, it might help you to understand that you really are a Ferrari and it might make you want to change some things. Here's what David said in the Old Testament. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. We usually use this verse when we talk about life beginning in conception, which I believe it does. But he's talking about, I am praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God made me. God designed me. Right? So God owns me. He, I'm his temple. He values me. He thinks I'm a Ferrari. He paid the price for me when I was enslaved by sin. And lastly, he has a purpose for my body. This is the most important thing. So honor God with your body. That's what Paul says. Honor God with your body. Let me just ask you a question. All right? How would you feel if you... If I, as your pastor, how would you feel if I just decided to let myself go and all my disciplines go and I started eating really, really bad? I don't eat great right now, but I started eating really bad and drinking really bad and smoking really bad and doing all the bad things I could possibly do to my body. And a year from now, I had a major heart attack and I died. Um, some of you would be happy, but some of you would be like, what a waste, Right? Would you be any more disappointed with me if I did that than if I let my other disciplines go and I went and had an affair or, or I embezzled money or I, you know, was mafioso with Michael Francis or, or something crazy like that? Would you feel any differently? Because as far as I'm concerned, you shouldn't feel any differently. You have my permission, if any of those things happen, to shoot me and bury me in a Cubs jersey, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I give that to you, all right? And that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 6. My soul is directly connected to my stomach and everything below it. And God's got a purpose for me. God created my temple. He owns my temple. And his plans for my temple should not be thwarted by my bad temple management. So the truth is, I rarely eat bacon. I'm just going to admit it to you. We can have all the fun we want to. When I was standing up saying I ate bacon today, it was turkey bacon. I got to admit, I got to be healthy because my cholesterol is too high and I, I hardly ever eat bacon and I don't eat a whole lot of red meat and I'm trying to take care of myself and you should be glad about that. All right. So you can stop giving me bacon crap because that, <laughs> that's not who I really am. Because for me, this is a race, you guys. And when I get to the end, when there's a funeral for me one day, I, I really hope that somebody, maybe one of my daughters or somebody, will be able to get up and read this scripture after they play Freebird, of course. I hope somebody will be able to read this scripture. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Notice the metaphor. I've kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing. That means I have to keep running the race. I have to keep taking care of my racing vehicle because God wants me to be the best preacher, teacher, leader, husband, father, hopefully grandfather that I can possibly be. 
and I'm going to honor God that way. And if I allow my body to break down and get sick and get tired and age prematurely, then I'm not only taking time and energy away from my family, I'm taking time and energy away from what God wants me to be. And I do not want to show up in heaven and have God go, what are you doing here already? Do you? I mean, literally, I... I got a text yesterday morning from a preacher friend about one of our older mentor preacher friends who had a major heart attack yesterday. And um, he's lived to an old age. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not that part that bothered me so much. But this was a guy who was such a great leader. He was such a great mentor. He was a great preacher. But he had a problem with food. And, and instead of doing something about it, he would joke about it. He would, you know, he'd eat fried chicken every day and he would have his meetings at donut shops and, and he would talk about, Paul said in the King James Version, I buffet my body to make it a slave. He would say, I buffet my body to make it as, you know, and they just make jokes about it. And he was way overweight. And he, he had a heart attack and he's probably going to die and we're all going to have, have an issue. We're all going to die. And he lived to an old age. But I wonder how much more productive he could have been if we would have, I just don't think that anybody would expect me to get up and joke about, well, I got a drinking problem, or I got a porn problem, or I got a whatever other kind of problem, but, but we can take this so lightly. It shouldn't be that way. If it's the temple, it's the temple. And again, it's not going to hurt the Ferrari. Go enjoy the Super Bowl. Go have your bean dip. It's not going to matter, okay? But over time, the misuse and abuse, especially as we get older, is going to keep it from being the ride that God wanted it to be. Jesus said this. I read this verse all the time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? I get that. With all your soul, yeah, my soul deep inside. With all your mind, yeah, I'm supposed to renew my mind. And with all your strength, Okay? So my question is, are you loving God with all of your strength? Am I loving God with all my strength? And I'm not going to talk you through the specifics, how and what. If you don't know, get the Daniel Plan book. Go online, figure out what's going on. There's a lot of information about what we're doing wrong to ourselves and what we could do right to ourselves. And most of it really ironically goes back to God's plan in the very beginning. Um, that's the whole Daniel Plan idea. You know those things. You know how much weight you should be carrying around. You know what's good for you and bad for you. You, you, you know what you know exercise you need to get, right? I mean, if you need an escalator to get to the health club, then you probably ought to get more exercise. Okay, I'm just saying. So my challenge for you this weekend is uh, the physical margin challenge is to eat better this week. All right, get five servings of fruits and vegetables. And I, bean dip is not a vegetable, just in case you're wondering. Get five servings of fresh fruits and vegetables this week. Work it into your plan somehow. Or, or get your family together and decide, hey, tonight we're going to cook a healthy meal instead of grabbing Mickey D's on the way home. And let's see how this goes together. And try to do some little baby steps with your health. Get, get back to the health club. Get back to working out. Here's, here's why I believe this is important. The Apostle Paul said... I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. See, he's not talking about your soul. He's not talking about your spirit or your heart. Your bodies. If you look at the literal, literal word here, it is body. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So I, I, I know uh, bringing this up is painful because I know a lot of you have um, 
done this before, you've tried to go on a diet or do whatever, and, and I get all that, and, and, and again, uh, you, my metabolism is pretty good, so you, you're not going to notice how bad I've been eating. Some of you, you know, you can eat the slightest little thing or whatever, and, and, and your metabolism's different. I know how painful this is, and I know how many of us know that this is the right thing for us to do. Whether we thought it was a spiritual issue or not, we get that, right? But Here's what I do want you to understand. I think the Daniel plan brings this in really, really well. It's the faith component. Because I talked a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not going to work when you just keep abusing yourself. But if you want to make a change, let me put this verse back up on the screen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength is a verse that is going to help you. And your faith component, as well as getting your family on board together, getting your friends on board together, the fellowship and the food and the fitness and the faith, all of those things all together, you can do this. You can make some changes in your life. And, and, and when you come back three months from now and say, man, I can't believe how good I feel. And when you come back with a testimony like Amanda saying, you know, I, I felt better during chemo because I started taking care of myself, th- then you're going to thank me for reminding you that your body is the temple of God and that he loves you and he values you and he's got a purpose for you. And so we need to do something about it. So we're just going to spend a moment in worship. Just going to spend a moment here before communion just thinking about the fact that the same power that lived inside of Jesus that allowed him to rise from the dead and to raise the dead and to perform miracles, that same power is available to you as a believer. It is available to you. So stop the defeatist attitude. Stop saying, oh, I can't do it. I can't, I, I can't get healthy. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yes, you can. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Lord God, as we come to you right now, will you help remind us that we're Ferraris? Will you help remind us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you created us? And that should help us figure out what it is we ought to be doing with these temples that you dwell in. And that you have a purpose for us and that that you really do want us to live complete healthy lives here and like we're going to talk about with the seven deadly sins any of these things that we do any of these things that that that, that we let enslave us are, are it's not about how happy we make you and working our way into your favor it's just about you designed us to live a certain way and it's the best way so as we think about this i know this is a hard subject i really do It's a hard subject for me. It's a hard subject for all of us. But Lord, will you help us to realize that you not only created us, you valued us so much that when we were enslaved to sin, you sent your son to die on a cross and his blood was the payment. It was not silver or gold or meaningless things like that that we were paid for and paid with. It was was the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, Help us to know that because of that, the power that you have lives inside of us. Whatever it is that we're working on in our life, whatever it is that that we want to do to, to live a life that glorifies you more, will you help us to understand that that power lives in us and it's available to us right now. If there are people that need you, Lord, let this be a time for them to turn their hearts to you during communion. We pray these things in your name. Amen.